Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Deadhead Cannabis Show. I'm Larry Mishkin of Mishkin Law in Chicago. We're going fishing today, folks. We got fishing. Uh, we're going to be saying our goodbyes to a rock and roll legend. Uh, we're going to dive right in in one second. Uh, but I do want to at least note at the very beginning of the show today, uh, that today, September 4th, is my anniversary. My wife and I have been married for 35 years. So happy anniversary to my lovely wife, Judy, who I love very much. You all got to hear her a couple of weeks ago with my good friend, Andy, when they uh, told us all about their experiences at uh, Joni Fest up in uh, Washington earlier this year. Uh, also, my good friend, uh, Harold and his wife, Robin, have an anniversary today. And on the other side of the spectrum, uh, another quick congratulations to Carson and Jeff, uh, who just got married uh, uh, about a week ago and are enjoying their honeymoon in lovely Puerto Vallarta. And we wish them uh, a lot of health and happiness, too. Um, with all of that, we're going we're gonna to start our fishing trip and we're going to dive in with the first song of the day. Yeah, this is the Deadhead Cannabis Show. You were in the right place, but we're going fishing this week, folks, at least a little bit. And uh, that's uh, Fish from August 26, 2023, Saratoga Springs Performing Arts Center, otherwise known as SPAC, site of many a dead show back in the day, a real uh, center for uh, fish fans during the summer tour as well. I have never been to SPAC, unfortunately, but maybe I'll make it out there sometime. This was a benefit concert for flood recovery efforts in Vermont and upstate New York uh, that had historic levels of flooding earlier this month with all the rain and everything they've been getting. So nice of the boys to go out there and do that and help for a good cause. And you're always having fun with fish. You're always having fun with fish at SPAC. And then Derek Trucks walks out on the stage and everything goes up for grabs. So, yeah, this is uh, Golden Age. Uh, a wonderful fish cover. We'll get back to that in a second, but uh, a great tune that I've really come to appreciate, both because I knew it originally and because I love the way they play it. Um, but, you know, we've said you could have the Three Blind Mice Band, and if Derek Trucks walked out, it just became the greatest show of the year. And uh, Fish is already one of the great shows of the year. And when you have a guy like Derek, just, just come ambling out there, no big deal. Everybody sees him out of the corner of their eye, and they're like, hey, what's going on, man? And, yeah, there he is, and he, he plays out the rest of the second set with them. Uh, and we've got uh, some of those tunes that we're going to be listening to today. Uh, we will also uh, be spending a lot of time talking about uh, James Casey, who just died at 40 from colon cancer. Uh, really an amazing musician, a tremendous sax player, and an unbelievable singer. 
Um, he played for part of the brass section for the Tri Anastasio Band, along with Jennifer Hartwick and Natalie Cressman. And uh, they also played with Phil Lesh and Friends. I just recently saw them this year. And uh, we're going to, uh, the second half of the show, uh, play some music to remember James Casey by, because anybody who's that versatile and that tied into the Fish Deadhead community uh, needs to be honored and remembered. Um, and so we will get to him as well. Uh, but we're starting off talking about uh, uh, our good friends, uh, Fish, who we just don't focus enough on this show. I know uh, Rob and I in the past have talked about them a little bit, and uh, Jim and I have talked about them a little bit. And uh you know, they just wrapped up another four nights at Dick's out in Commerce City, uh, Colorado, uh, just outside of Denver, the big soccer stadium out there. So that's a destination concert for me that I year after year always hope I'm going to get to and never quite pull the trigger to make it. So unfortunately, that didn't happen. But, um, you know, what I like about it is it's Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday night. But Monday, right, of course, today is Labor Day. So uh, no harm, no foul for everybody who was partying straight through the weekend uh, with the boys out in Colorado. Plenty of time to get home and uh, get your act in gear so you can go back to work or whatever you do in real life when you're not running around the country seeing fish, um, which I say uh, totally approvingly because I did it with the dead. And, you know, some of us have done it with bands. Some of us haven't. But nevertheless, it's always good to touch base with fish. And uh, sorry that it takes something like Derek Trucks coming out and playing with them to do it. And we'll try to focus more on them in the future, especially because I'm seeing them uh, next month in October here in Chicago. Uh, very much looking forward to that. Now, like the same way we used to kind of look forward uh, to the Dead's annual tour through town. Uh, we're going to get fish this time and uh, very happy about that in mid-October. But uh, Derek walks out and uh, plays Golden Age with Fish. And uh, like I say, it changes everything. It's a Golden Age is a great song. It was written and first performed by a band called TV on the Radio. And it was a single from their album, Dear Science, released on August 26, 2008. Spin Magazine rated it as the eighth best song of the year. Now, Fish began covering the tune in 2009. They first played it on November 27, 2009 at the Times Union Center, which I guess is also known as Pepsi Arena or maybe now MVP Arena in Albany, New York. You folks out there know which one I'm talking about. Uh, to date, they've played it 70 times uh, with this performance uh, that we just listened to being the most recent. Now, I will say uh, as a hedge against that, uh, that this was recorded last week. So uh, since I've recorded this, the Fish have played their four shows at Dick's, which is why I'm not talking about those shows, because for me, they haven't happened yet. Uh, play the um, uh, creepy music there and uh, we can move on Twilight Zone kind of stuff, right? But uh, 70 times, not counting whether or not it, it, it made it into the uh, rotation and song list out at Dick's this weekend, but clearly a song uh, that's gotten a lot of uh, traction with the fish heads and, and the band really likes it. But uh, you know, who the hell is TV on the radio? Well, you know, I kind of vaguely remember them, an American rock band from Brooklyn formed in 2001. Uh, the band consists of Tundi Adabimpe, who does vocals, uh, David Andrew Sitek, guitar and keyboard, Kip Malone on vocals, guitar and bass, and Jaleel Button, drums, bass, vocals, loops, guitar, Gerard Smith on bass, was a member of the band from 2005 until his death in 2011. Uh, the band has released five albums, including Dear Science, which came out in 2008, most recently Seeds in 2014. 
The, the Dear Science album was released on September 23rd, 2008 on Interscope. It was made available for streaming on their MySpace. Yes, there used to be a MySpace page and subsequently leaked onto the internet on September 6, 2008. The album was named the best album of 2008 by Rolling Stone, The Guardian, Spin, The AV Club, NTV, Entertainment Weekly, Pitchfork Meters, Radio Guide, as well as the Paz and Jops Critics Poll. It was also named the second best album of 2008 by NME and the fourth best by fourth best, fourth best by Planet Sound. So clearly some great music. And again, you know, an example of a song and an album that might have just kind of, you know, been relevant at the time and then just kind of slowly faded off, except for once every 10 years when people would do 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, looking back on 2008 or however they do, however they do those kind of things. But Fish said no, and they stepped in and they've taken the song. And for the last 11, 12, 12 years, I guess, uh, 12 years, 14 years by now, they've, uh, they've, they've kind of made the song their own. And uh, many a fish head today knows it only as a fish tune and nothing wrong with that because uh, they tear it up and they play it well. And you add uh, all-time guitar legend Derek Trucks to the mix and uh, watch out. And uh, this was a uh, uh, just a great version of Golden Age. All of this is available on YouTube. I'm sure uh, those of you that listen to this stuff already know that. Uh, but for those of you that don't, uh, you can go on to YouTube and you can uh, just um, – Type in Fish, Derek Trucks, SPAC 2023, and all of this great material pops up, and uh, you can really go to, to bat on it. And if you're curious, check out TV on the radio's version of the tune. There is their uh, original music video, which I, I saw and remember it as being a little bit wacky, uh, but appropriate for the time, um, as well as um, them doing a live version of it. And that's actually kind of fun because it just kind of removes all the fluff and everything. And it's them kind of rocking out, and I don't think they play guitar or play as well as Trey, but they do a pretty darn good job, and it's a fun song. So, uh, yeah, great way uh, uh, to really have some fun if you're at a fish show and uh, you're in the middle of a good tune anyway with some, some more good stuff still to come, and, and out walks Mr. Trucks, and uh, unfortunately his wife did not join him, uh, but I guess this was just to be a boys' night up on stage, and they really killed it. Um we're going to, uh, keeping in this spirit, we're going to dive right into the next tune, uh, again, with Derek out there on stage, and uh, we'll let it fly and talk about it in a minute. Thank you. 
So that tune is First Tube, familiar to all fish fans, and uh, even I in my infancy in the fish universe have learned uh, to recognize that song when I hear it. Uh, a lot of fun and uh, a great instrumental. Uh, it's the 12th and final track on the band's 2000 album, Farmhouse, uh, an album that I happen to like quite a bit, although uh, I understand that some hard fish heads uh, don't see it the same way necessarily, but everybody's entitled to their opinions, and that's the beauty of fish like the Grateful Dead. Trey Anastasio led a performance by a one-off band called Eight Foot Fluorescent Tubes on April 17, 1998 at the original Higher Ground in Winooski, just outside of Burlington, Vermont. The show was the first time Anastasio performed in public with Lawton and Markellis, who were joined by uh, guitarist vocalist Tom Lawson of The Pants, saxophonist David Grippo, trombonist James Harvey, and vocalist Eloise Williams of Viper House. First Tube was seemingly named for its placement as the first song played at the Eight Foot Fluorescent Tube show, which also saw the premiere of Future Fish tab songs Sand, Mozambique, and Last Tube. Trey, Tony, and Russ would go on to form the first incarnation of the Trey Anastasio Band, which made its debut back at the Higher Ground in February 1999. That concert again featured First Tube as part of the set list. Uh, the same tab trio was also in lineup on Trey's first solo tour in May 1999. And by the end of that first acoustic electric tour, First Tube was a full-on showstopper that highlighted many electric second sets. Along with fellow 8-foot fluorescent tube originals Mozambique, First Tube made its fish debut on September 9, 1999 in Vancouver, British Columbia. One of the first two instrumentals on Farm, one of two instrumentals on Farmhouse, along with the in-law Josie Wales, First Tube earned Fish a Grammy Award nomination for Best Rock Instrumental Performance in 2001. Nominated alongside Peter Frampton, Kenny Wayne Shepard, and Joe Satriani, Fish lost to Metallica, Michael Kamen, and the San Francisco Symphonies, The Call of Cthulhu. First two was played by Fish four times when they returned in 2003, not at all in 2004, the year that they began a second break lasting until 2009. Since coming back from the second hiatus, First Tube has remained a staple of both Fish concerts and Tab solo shows. So, um... First tube, a, a well-known tune uh, and, and a straight instrumental tune, so perfect uh, for a guy like um, uh, Derek uh, Trucks to walk in on it. And, and here's what I want to say about that. I don't know how many of you remember Close Encounters of the Third Kind, right? But one of the things that happens in that movie is where the scientists do, 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 and they wait for the machine to go back, do, 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 and they go back and forth. Well, here, if you're listening on that opening, dun, 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 the first time through is Trey. Uh, and if you watch the video, you can see Derek Trucks just kind of sitting there with his fingers on the strings, kind of soaking it all in. And then Trey nods at him. And then the second time through, it's Derek Trucks doing it. And then the third time through, it's both of them. And that's when the crowd picks up a little bit and does a little hooting and hollering. Um, but I just think that's so cool, right? These guys are so um, uh, versatile and fluent, you know, in playing guitar uh, that they can just walk right out, hear what's going on, and not only figure out the song, but figure out how to, you know, properly accompany it so they're not playing over one another or, you know, creating gaps or anything like that. They're actually filling in for one another and and, and, and really making it just a uh, uh, already, what's already a solid tune, uh, you know, even that much better and, and, and that much more exciting uh, and, and really fun to listen to. Um, I, I really like that a lot. I think it's a great thing. You know, again, just what fun to be able to see uh, a couple of guys like this uh, you know, who are just still at the top of their games, physically, mentally, musically, 
and the audiences really love it. That's to me the coolest part of all. You're at a show and you're already excited because you're at a fish show. It's like, how can this get any better? They're jamming along. They're about to go into golden age. Oh, I know. If Derek Trucks joins them, that's when you pinch yourself and say, this was just good timing. I was at the correct show this time around. Sometimes you aren't, sometimes you aren't. And that's just the way it works. And no difference here. Although I usually like to flip around in the stuff we do because we're on such a roll with this right now. And we really only have three songs um, from this uh, marvelous mashup. Uh, let's just go straight to the uh, thir- third song on our list, which winds up uh, basically uh, as the encore from the show. that's possum and and uh possums become one of my favorite fish tunes because it's just such a wonderfully jammed out tune uh and they they do actually swing back around to the lyrics on this one which i like even though they're silly lyrics and mike gordon's just kind of belting them out he does a really good job and uh the crowd really digs it and uh you know so does trey uh but because of all that great jamming it's perfectly suited uh for for this type of uh, uh performance uh which is why i played it because you could hear that's just again Derek and Trey, I, I, we didn't even need to hear any of the lyrics this time. The, the, we, we couldn't miss out on on those great guitar jams playing with one another where, again, you know, they're just playing off each other. Uh, they're building in the crescendo. They're, you know, just ripping off these quick little leads, each of them. And, uh, uh, you know, for people who love good uh, rock and roll guitar and especially of the jam band variety, which all of us do, uh, this is just a treat that's too good to miss. And, you know, Possum is... It is <laughs> Is, is one of these songs, right, with just, you know, totally crazy lyrics about, you know, driving down the road and seeing a dead possum and the road was its end, the end was its road, so they say. And yeah, it's uh, it all works very nicely and, and cute like that. But like anything with fish, there's so much more behind it, I learn as, as I go along and spend time with uh, uh, my fish friends of the world. Just really quickly in that regard, let me just give a quick shout out to my son, Matthew, who's been a big fish influence, his buddy Kevin, uh, and their whole gang of guys who all go to fish shows together. And there's way too many of them all to name, but they know who they are. 
And uh, they're a great group of guys and a lot of fun to hang out with. A lot of women in that group, too. Uh, they're hardcore at what they do, and they have a good time. Uh, so uh, definitely a shout-out to them. And also, uh, this, this, this portion of the show, the fish portion of the show today, uh, I want to uh, say is going out for my two good friends, Bowie and Rio, uh, out there in uh, uh, eastern part of California, uh, who are uh, a couple of really budding uh, fish heads and uh, their parents really dig the scene too. And they've also been instrumental in helping me transition uh, myself more and more into the, uh, into the fish mode and learning all the songs and, and all the stuff like that. So uh, you know, a lot of good shout outs on the fish side. Um, but yeah, possum is just a tune I really like. And, it, and so there's a, uh, here's the spiel. The Man Who Stepped Into Yesterday, okay, is a 1987 concept album written by Trey. Um, and it was done as a senior, the- senior thesis while attending Goddard College, uh, I believe that's in Vermont. Composed in 1987, the thesis included an essay piece and a collection of songs recorded by Fish, relating an epic tale from the band's fictional land of Gamehenge. On the album, the story of Gamehenge is told in nine parts, with short spoken narration in between. The saga can be compared to rock concept, al- rock concept album projects like The Doors' Celebration of the Lizard or Rush's 2012 Suite. Uh, the story's primary protagonist is Cor- Colonel Forbin. Other major inc- characters include Tila, the jewel of Wilson's foul domain, and the evil Wilson himself. Several of the album's spoken narrative sections are accompanied by background music borrowed from sections of the Fish songs Esther and McGrupp and the Watchful Hosemasters. The final track, Possum, is the only song on the album not written by Anastasio, having been written by former Fish member Jeff Holdsworth and later added to the Game Henge cycle. Now, let me just stop there for one second. Game Henge is like this whole thing onto itself, and and my buddy uh, Adam has been telling me about when I first saw Fish shows with him way back in the day, uh, and... Uh, Bowie and Rio's parents like to tell me all about Gamehenge and my son. And, and Gamehenge is like this whole concept, but somehow like every song, but not every song, but it seems like every song somehow has a tie-in to this whole Gamehenge concept. It's either one of the characters or one of the events or one of the whatevers. And if you know, you know, and if you don't, you're always kind of trying to figure it out until eventually you do know. And I'm not in that category yet, so I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, but there is a Gamehenge cycle. And apparently all of it is about the man who stepped into uh, uh, tomorrow. And um, what I think is really funny about that, excuse me, the man who stepped into yesterday, not tomorrow. See, I'm, I'm not quite total fish material yet. Um, but nowadays, when the, band, when the band plays the instrumental uh, of the man who stepped into yesterday, uh, they sandwich it around a rather rocking version of Avinu Malkenu. Avinu Malkenu uh, is a, um, uh, a prayer and a, uh, a, a very holy one that, that's performed during the, uh, holy, the high holidays and especially on Yom Kippur, uh, the holiest day of the year for Jewish people and the day you fast on and all that other kind of stuff. And the first time I heard that, oh, a number of years ago now, at least 20 plus years ago, uh, I was blown away by the fact that there was a rock and roll band out there covering <laughs> that type of material. It just, I always think of it as a, you know, liturgy, a, a, a liturgical, uh, kind of like a slow moving, but very mournful, but respectful. And if you really have a good choir going and they can all kind of harmonize on it, it becomes very beautiful, but it's all done under this, um, uh, 
uh, day of mourning and reflection and seeking forgiveness and uh, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember playing it once uh, years ago for my father-in-law, who uh, was a very, very uh, observant Jew, uh, very knowledgeable about Jewish custom and tradition, and asking him, um, you know, whether it was, was this respectful to be, you know, taking this type of a song that has such special meaning, you know, to the Jewish faith and during such a special time and basically, you know, be converting into a rock and roll song. And his response was, why not? You know, it, it's, it's musical and it, it is what it is. And there's, you know, everybody's free to interpret it however they want to interpret it, uh, which I really took to heart and I thought was great. And so um, I'm just completely, uh, uh, um, digressing here but uh the bottom line is they play the man who stepped into yesterday into avinu malkanu back into the man who stepped into yesterday but the man who stepped into yesterday is also this big much larger project that includes gamehenge which is this whole fictional story so you have stories within stories within stories and again the fish people all know it uh jeff holdsworth really quickly who wrote uh, possum is a musician who was a founding member of the rock band fish uh it was founded at the redstone campus dormitories at the university of vermont in the fall of 1983 the band originally featured Holdsworth and Tran Anastasio sharing lead vocal and guitar duties, John Fishman on drums and Mike Gordon on bass guitar. So a little bit before Paige McConnell on keyboard, apparently Holdsworth left the band in 1986 after graduating from groovy UV to pursue a career in electrical engineering shortly before the band recorded their debut self-produced album, The White Tape. Though he had played on some of the demo recordings done in the dorm room, that would later be re-recorded for the album. Uh, they would later be re-recorded for the album. His songs, Possum and Camel Walk, continue to be Fish live show favorites. So that's kind of cool. Um, a little bit of learning for me. A little bit of tell us something we don't know for fish heads. Uh, but, you know, for the rest of us, it, that's, you know, a little bit of a changing personnel. And I never really thought of fish as having much of changing personnel because it's been those four guys uh, together for so long. But with any band, I suppose if you go back far enough, you're always going to find some guys who filtered in and, and filtered out for a little while. And and, and Jeff Holdsworth is uh, is certainly one of those. So, um, so this part's been a lot of fun because uh, we don't go fishing enough. And uh, it shouldn't take Derek Trucks to get us over there, but but Derek did such a great job, and they did such a great job with him, uh, that this was something that uh, I think was just important, uh, very important for us to touch upon. And um, th there will be more fish uh, segments on this podcast in the future. Now, uh, keeping with our rock and roll theme here for a minute, and we're going to get into our cannabis news stories in a second, because uh, I know that... Um, uh, Dan is just sitting back there waiting to surprise me with another one of his cannabis-themed tunes, which we will hear in a moment. Um, the second part of the show today, musically speaking, uh, is devoted to a gentleman by the name of James Casey, who passed away on uh, one week ago today on August 28th. Um, he was a celebrated saxophonist, uh, played with a number of bands. He passed away after a two-year battle with colon cancer, again at age 40. And um, his, his fellow musicians and admirers paid homage to him while also recognizing the void felt by the musical and in particular the jam band community uh, in the wake of his death. Now, James uh, was part of a, um, a horn section uh, who played with Natalie Cressman and Jennifer Hartswick. Uh, they played both with the Tri Anastasio band. Uh, they played with Phil Lesh and friends. 
on occasion they were known one or two or more of them to come out and play with fish the band itself uh and they were all three of them are james was amazingly accomplished in that not only are they uniquely talented musicians musicians james on the um saxophone natalie on the trombone and jennifer on the trumpet but all three of them have absolutely amazing singing voices and during these various shows where we saw them uh, both with tab and with uh phil uh, there was a number of songs where one or more of them would step in and and do the singing so um this is just such a unique group that uh, uh, helped and touched and, and, and played with uh, so many important bands in, in the jam band scene and, and really in the overall music scene. And, and James Casey is such, a, such an important part of that. And among the messages and memories uh, shared was a heartfelt tribute from Trey Anastasio, who wrote, I'm heartbroken about the loss of our friend and bandmate, James. Uh, he was a magnificent soul. His spirit and personality glowed. His playing was elegant, stormy, soulful, and lyrical. He was a powerful and melodic improviser and spot on when reading intricate charts. His tone was full and warm. His singing voice was beautiful. I loved harmonizing with James. His smile filled the room. I'll never forget the feeling of jousting with him on baritone sax and guitar. We would make eye contact and just go for it, diving into waves of sound together dark, scary, blues-filled jams. He was a force of nature. It felt like being in a tiny boat together in a huge storm in the middle of the ocean. In the middle of the ocean. Um, and uh, just to give proper credit, I am reading uh, from a story that appeared in Relics Magazine uh, last week, uh, written by Hun uh, Hannah Gustafson. And uh, thank her for sharing uh, this reporting with us so that we can share it with you. Bill Kreutzman, uh, drummer for the Grateful Dead, shared a video of... Um, James Casey, Billy Strings, Reed Mathis, and others from Billy and the Kids lineup performing the Grateful Dead's classic Ripple, along with the sentiment, I love James Casey from the very moment we met, and playing music, music with him was a gift and a joy that is hard to put in words. He was incomparable. I am heartbroken by this loss. Thank you, James, for all the music you left behind. We will have that forever in the memories. I love you and will always carry you with me. So here's a guy that a lot of people didn't even know, I'm guessing, and I'm not going to lie, uh, before uh, this last year, I, I was not aware of all the, maybe I'd heard of Natalie or, or, or Jessica, I didn't really know James Casey very well, uh, but just having seen him, having, having had an opportunity to see him uh, within the last year, both with Tab and with Phil, uh, was remarkable. Uh, I was... Uh, ignorant of the fact uh, that James was, was ill uh, and that he was uh, really about to enter the final phase of his two-year battle with colon cancer. Um, but yet here he is uh, in his death um, being eulogized and remembered by the legends of the jam band scene, Trey, who certainly has earned that mantle now. Um, you know, and, and I think it's probably fair to say that with Jerry's passing, and uh, Dead and Company uh, kind of parting ways for the time being, uh, that it's hard to argue that Fish hasn't uh, assumed the crown of the uh, current king of the jam bands. And while I know that they think of themselves as a, a very libertarian and democratic organization, and Trey would say that the loudest, uh, Trey's as much a leader of the band as Jerry was of the Grateful Dead. 
and uh, his words carry a lot of weight and importance, I think, uh, in the jam band community, in the rock and roll community, and just in the music at large community. And of course, uh, who who can who better than Bill Kreutzmann, right? The guy who uh, was one of the two drummers who really launched this whole movement and and were part of such magical times back in the late 60s and then uh, such amazing musical times in the 70s and revitalized times in the 80s. And, um, you know, we're still around in the 90s. And uh, we love Bill Kreutzmann on the show. The, 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 the teammate, uh, he and Billy, uh, Mickey Hart, uh, and the sounds that they've created um, in their percussion-based uh, musical talents, both straight drumming uh, during songs as well as the uh, independent shows they put together every concert during the drums segment of a of a standard Grateful Dead show, and you know here they are talking about James Casey as an equal, and and why not? Because for those of us who have seen him, uh, we can certainly understand that sentiment and appreciate uh, very much uh, the skill set that he he brought to the table. Uh, even uh, Billy Strings shared a tribute saying that uh, James Casey was one of the sweetest people and best musicians I've ever met. He was so inspiring to be around and especially to make music with. He'd look over and give me a play playful, crooked smile and shrug it off when neither of us really knew the songs we were playing up there. We were just winging every note. I loved hearing him play bluegrass, bluegrass licks on the sax and sharing some of my favorite fiddle tunes with him. He seemed to be able to play anything you could throw at him. He was such a beautiful, beautifully intentional and vocal player. He made that thing sing, and you felt it in your soul. This is absolutely heartbreaking. My thoughts and prayers are with his family and loved ones. Rest in peace, James. We're going to miss you, man. Okay, Billy Strings uh, doesn't have uh, uh, the, the, the length of time that these other guys do, but it would be hard to argue that he's not one of the leaders of the, uh, of the alternative music and the rock and roll, jam band, country sound, everything that he touches scenes today. And there's great quotes from Dave Matthews and from Ciro Baptista of the Tranastasio Band and O'Teal Burbridge. And, and the list just goes on and on and on of the rock and roll legends who have taken the time uh, to, really, to really throw out to, uh, to James Casey's family and to his friends and to his bandmates and to all the fans and, and everyone who got to know him uh, in his unfortunately uh, relatively short life. But I'm guessing that James is the kind of guy who would say that it was a wonderful life because of all the wonderful things that he did accomplish and uh, all the joy that he brought to so many people who have heard him perform his music in whatever iteration it was being performed at the time. So uh, let's just dive in here really fast and uh, hear James uh, doing a little bit of singing uh, with Phil and Friends back in March of this year at the Capitol Theater in New York. Sing that you are 
such a strong and, and, and vibrant performance uh, by James Casey this past March 17th at the Capitol Theater uh, with Phil and Friends. This lineup of Phil and Friends included uh, Rick Mitterotonda from Goose, John Medeski, Graham Lesh, Phil's son, Nikki Bloom, an amazing vocalist in her own right, Mr. Casey, Katie Jacoby, and, and, and my favorite drummer, John Molo. Um, and, uh, you know, Dear Prudence had become a, uh, a favorite tune of Jerry Garcia and the Jerry Garcia Band. And um, so for Deadheads, it, it kind of entered into their their psyche and, and their sense of music uh, by seeing uh, the Garcia Band do it. Uh, but of course, it's a song by the uh, by the Beatles from their 1968 double album, The Beatles, also known as The White Album. It was written by John Lennon and credited to the Lennon-McCartney Partnership. It was written in... Re- Rishikesh during the group's trip to India in early 1968. It was inspired by actress Mia Farrow's sister Prudence Farrow, who became obsessive about meditating while practicing with Maharishi Mahesh Yoga. Her designated partners on the mediation course, Lennon and George Harrison, attempted to coax Farrow out of her seclusion, which led to Lennon writing the song. Um, it's a beautiful song uh, when the Beatles sing it. Uh, it's a beautiful song when Jerry sings it. And You can't deny how beautiful it is uh, when James Casey sings it. We're going to come back to James Casey in a minute because we're going to listen to him in a few more uh, contexts. But uh, it is time to uh, flip over to our marijuana segment. So go ahead, Dan. I'm in love with Mary Jane. as that today dan rick james local buffalo legend we love him um dan's good at these man he's he's getting them and and i'm not guessing them nearly as often as i should so on the marijuana side today we got we've we've got some big news uh one way or another certainly uh it's big news i guess but how big it is depends on your perspective and we'll talk more about that um but Today, in what many uh, media outlets are calling very encouraging news for the marijuana industry, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services uh, has officially recommended to the U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency, the DEA, that cannabis be moved from its current Schedule One to Schedule Three of the Controlled Substances Act. In other words, they want to reschedule it, take it off of Schedule One, and move it down to Schedule Three. Now, in a lot of these announcements that are coming out about this move, it is being hailed and and, and spoken of uh, very glowingly because it will remove two major current impediments uh, that marijuana dispensaries and and really uh, uh, the the marijuana industry uh, feels as a whole right now. Because marijuana remains a Schedule One, uh, which it doesn't belong there, and we've talked about that a lot, and we'll get into it more here in a few minutes. But because it's a Schedule One, banking services are not available to uh, business people in the industry. So we've we've talked about the impact of that. It becomes a cash business. You can't write checks. You can't use credit cards. For a while, people were using debit cards, but we saw last week that Mastercard just put the kibosh on that, at least as far as its debit cards are concerned. Um, and so it would be wonderful to get banking relief. We know we've also talked about the Safe Banking Act, which Congress has tried and tried and tried. And when I say Congress, I really mean the Senate. 
because we all know that the House of Reps has passed it repeatedly by huge margins, but the Senate is too dug into their political games and who's going to get the, the credit for it and who's not going to get the credit for it that uh, Republicans and Democrats are having a hard time coming together on this issue. And so we don't have a safe banking act that's been passed and we continue to have our banking problems. So yes, getting rid of those would be huge. And because that only applies to schedule one and schedule two substances, uh, if you're a schedule three substance uh, retailer, uh, it does not apply to you, which means you get full banking services. Good news. The other thing is that if you are on schedule three, uh, the infamous 280E section of the U.S. tax code does not apply. And again, 280E, for those who either forgot or for somehow haven't heard about it yet, is that tiny little portion of the tax code that says if you are engaged in the retail sale of a Schedule 1 or Schedule 2 controlled substance, remember marijuana is Schedule 1, then you may not deduct your ordinary business expenses. So, you know, where businesses say, oh, I can write off my rent. Nope. I can write off my payroll. Nope. Can't do that either. Uh, I can write off my utilities. Sorry. Can't do that. What do you mean? What I mean is you have to pay all of those expenses and you're still going to pay tax on that money, even though that money went to cover business expenses and, and any other business can be written off or deducted off of your taxes uh, with 280E, it's in addition to. So uh, for small businesses, this has just been a very, very difficult concept to deal with. And I'm not enough of an economist to be able to explain it. But even I understand that if you're paying tax on money that you're really not getting because you're using it to pay other bills, uh, that's going to make it very, very difficult for you uh, to be able to maintain a profit uh, or at least a sufficient enough profit uh, to be able to run your business effectively and in the way you want. And so if it's moved to Schedule 3, yes, that's also a good news because that means that 280E would no longer apply. And so at that point, uh, the industry would be recognizing what most people would think would see as two major, major benefits for the marijuana industry. And I don't disagree with that in principle, but I completely disagree with this thing in practice, with that with that line of thinking. This is a classic bait and switch being perpetrated on a, to us by the federal government, and it's not going to work. So, here's the problem. Yes, it'll give us it'll give our industry relief from 280e tax consequences, and clear the way for banking uh, to be able to do business within the legal marijuana industry. But the Controlled Substance Act uh, holds that only a licensed, and U.S. law holds that only a licensed, licensed pharmacist may fill and deliver prescriptions for substances listed on schedules three through five. That means privately owned dispensaries would be out of business unless they hire their own licensed pharmacist to do the dispensing assuming that that is allowed, right? Assuming that the state law says that, yeah, you can still be a private dispensary and you can sign a contract with a pharmacist to come in and do the dispensing, even though it's within the context of your dispensary and not within the context of a proper licensed pharmacy. Maybe they'll let that happen. Maybe they won't. Um, and pharmacists are going to become in very high demand. So obviously they will be able to charge a very steep fee for these services, which will become absolutely necessary to the successful ability to sell marijuana. Um, there is language uh, out there from uh, our friends at the DEA and in notices that they've sent around to various registrants talking about this very issue that reads, 
The Controlled Substances Act and its implementing regulations specify the requirements for issuing and filling prescriptions for controlled substances. Remember, even though now it would only be a Schedule Three, marijuana would still be federally illegal. It would still be a controlled substance. By statutory requirement, a valid prescription issued by a DEA-registered practitioner is required for dispensing a controlled substance unless the controlled substance is dispensed directly by a practitioner. Okay, so yes, that means that a doctor now has to write a prescription, at least as the law is currently set, uh, in order for you to be able to get that marijuana uh, if it gets pushed to Schedule 3. Uh, at least under federal law. Uh, the CSA further provides that a pharmacist may dispense Schedule 3 and 4 controlled substances pursuant to written or oral prescription and further regulations uh, further specify that a pharmacist may dispense a controlled substance listed as Schedule 3, 4, or 5 uh, pursuant to paper prescription signed by a practitioner or a facsimile of a signed prescription or whatever else. But here we're, we're clearly stating and saying it may be dispensed by a pharmacist, not that it may be dispensed by a business license by the state to sell marijuana. Now, again, states may try to fly in the face of that. They're already flying in the face of it, right? Marijuana is completely federally illegal and states are, are allowing uh, businesses to sell it. But once you become a Schedule 3, 4, or 5, um, you know, the, the, the federal government has a whole brand new interest here in terms of at least based on its laws, who can and cannot sell this stuff. So, you know, this is really a problem. And what this leads to, of course, is not is that marijuana does not need to be rescheduled. Marijuana needs to be descheduled. It needs to be just like alcohol, caffeine, nicotine, and all of these other substances that are out there today uh, that cause far more health issues, more missed work days, uh, significantly more problems, health-related and otherwise, than does marijuana. But none of those, we don't see alcohol, we don't see caffeine products, we don't see nicotine, those are not on the Controlled Substances Act. Why is marijuana on there at all? It shouldn't be, which really leads me to my biggest argument, which is that this whole thing is a little bit disingenuous on the part of the federal government for the HHS to come out and act like rescheduling to Class 3 is a big deal. Marijuana never belonged on the schedules at all, let alone as a Schedule 1. We just keep talking about this week after week, and we've got another article in a minute where we're going to see why it shouldn't be on Schedule 1 or any of these. Moving it to Schedule 3 continues the charade that marijuana is dangerous in a way that alcohol, coffee, and cigarettes are not, uh, meaning that it still has to be declared federally illegal. So in my practice as a lawyer, I see this a lot like a plaintiff who goes out and makes a demand in a personal injury case of a million dollars for what's a bruise, put a Band-Aid on it, and it's better. So then they come back and say, okay, well, we'll drop to $100,000, which is still a ridiculous amount of money. But the plaintiff wants to sit there and beat their chest that this is 90% less than the last uh, proposal I just made. I've dropped 90% all the way down. No, you haven't. You just started at an insane number. So, you know, until you get to a number that's a legitimate number at the ceiling of the ballpark, any numbers you throw out are meaningless. And that's really the same thing here. The big news is to deschedule it, to take it off of the schedules. As long as we're leaving it on any of the schedules, uh, we're just continuing the same nonsense that the federal government has been doing forever, plus the added problem of uh, who can sell it and who can dispense it, and, and how is that going to work? Are, are pharmacists going to come in and file lawsuits? I don't see why they wouldn't. 
This is their area of business. It's being infringed upon. If the federal government lets non-licensed pharmacists sell marijuana as a Schedule Three controlled substance, what's to stop other non-pharmacists from selling other Schedule Three, Schedule Four, Schedule Five substances? Uh, right. Once you let the horse out of the barn, kind of the thing. So, uh, you know, who knows what could happen with that? But the bottom line is, is that it, it's it's very frustrating and just aggravating that again games are being played here. Um, and everybody says, oh, look at this. It's being moved to Schedule 3. Oh, my goodness, how wonderful is that? And the truth of the matter is, yeah, it's nice, but it's just not really all that wonderful in the larger scheme of things. All these people who have invested all this time and money into building and developing their dispensaries, whether it's one dispensary or whether it's multiple dispensaries like the multi-state operator zone, if all of a sudden federal law says you need pharmacists to sell this stuff or only pharmacists can sell this stuff, or even worse, only pharmacists can sell this stuff in their licensed pharmacies, what's going to happen to all of you guys? What's going to happen to all of these people? The entire market uh, could have the bottom knocked out right from underneath it, and all of these companies could be put out of business. That would be devastating to this industry. So the truth of the matter is uh, that I don't really see this as a cause for too much excitement and dancing in the streets and uh, you know, really hope that uh, the government will come to its senses and understand that this isn't a game of, you know, being half-assed. This is a game of being all in and saying, we're taking it off the schedules. We're, we're going to stop playing games with marijuana and we're going to recognize what it is for what it is. A natural uh, intoxicant that's safer than alcohol, that's less damaging than caffeine and nicotine uh, and uh, has all sorts of benefits. Let's dive right into another one of these benefits because what's another week without more studies showing us exactly how beneficial marijuana is uh, from our good friends at Marijuana Moment and Kyle Yeager, thank you very much for their article uh, that states that legalized medical marijuana saw nearly 20% drop in foster care cases for parental drug misuse, a study finds. Wow. Okay. We don't want legal marijuana. It's going to make people bad parents. Guess what? 20% drop in foster cases due to parent drug misuse because parents have marijuana. States that legal, legalized medical marijuana saw a nearly 20% drop in the number of children entering foster care due to parental drug misuse after three years of the reform a new study found. Legalizing for adult use, meanwhile, was not associated with any statistical significant change in foster care entries, okay? So let's stop for a minute because this is right where all the pessimists were going to go, right? They're going to say that there's no a 20% drop, meaning, right? So that means for parents who are using heroin, parents who are using cocaine, parents who are using parents who are using serious opioids, all of these things, because we're not talking about marijuana. There's been no increase or anything uh, in the number of, of children entering this program because their parents misuse marijuana. All that's happened is the number of parents entering this program because their parents use other hard drugs has dropped significantly because people can now use marijuana. So researchers at Georgia College and State University set out to learn whether legalization would lessen stigma, permit proper use, and reduce the chance that a child will be removed, or conversely, if foster care cases would increase due to expanded access to legal cannabis. The study looked at national data involving 3.4 million foster care uh, cases from 2007 to 2019 uh, using differences in differences analysis Researchers examined rate changes in foster care placements related to drug misuse, comparing states that enacted legalization to those that maintained prohibitions. They controlled for factors such as state unemployment rate and per capita income. 
Our estimates suggest that when states permitted recreational marijuana use, there was no corresponding change in the number of foster care cases, entries related to parental or teenage drug abuse relative to control states, the study says. But for states that legalized medical ca- medical cannabis, there was a discernible shift. In the first two years of implementation, states saw an average of 8% to 10% decrease in foster care cases connected to drug mid-use, misuse. By the third year, cases dropped 18%, which amounted to approximately 700 fewer entries to foster care that were related to pr- parental drug abuse when a state legalized medical marijuana. That's especially important finding given that 90% of foster case entries due to drug misuse happen in states where medical cannabis is legal, says the study, which is pending peer review. Drug misuse is the second most common reason that a child is placed into foster care. While the study didn't identify a meaningful link between adult use legalization and foster care drug misuse cases, a separate study published last year did. In fact, researchers at the University of Mississippi found that Recreational legalization was associated with at least a 10% decrease in foster care admissions on average, including reductions in placements due to physical abuse, neglect, parental incarceration, and misuse of alcohol and other drugs, right? Because when people use marijuana, they don't drink, they don't use harder drugs, they don't use opioids, they don't do any of these things. So they're not spending more money, they're not going out and committing crimes to get the money to do that. They're not getting uh, um, drunk and coming home and beating their spouse or beating their children or anything like that. Another study, this one conducted in other places, including Georgia and Mississippi, so right there in the good old South, folks. And yes, a 20% drop in foster care cases for parental drug misuse. I would say that's a positive public reaction. That's a good thing. Unfortunately, uh, right, as we're talking about, we still have a lot of people who just can't quite quite get over that hump. Uh, and so they're going to say, well, maybe just schedule three. I don't see anything coming out uh, where if you replace the words marijuana with alcohol that would say states that legalized alcohol saw nearly 20% drop in foster care cases. Um, I don't have the study in front of me, but I'm going to just take a wild guess that it goes in the other direction on that one. Um, so yes, again, another benefit, another positive. That's a health benefit, right? That's a health benefit if people are not becoming ill physically or mentally such that they can no longer take care of their families. When there's legalized marijuana, those numbers decrease. That means people are doing better. They're able to take care of their families. So again, slap to the forehead. Really, what the hell's going on here with all of this nonsense and what are we doing? And yet, even in the face of all of this, we can always count on our good old standbys. And in this case, it's our good friend, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, doubles down on opposition to marijuana legalization. Get this, claiming Colorado's illicit market is bigger and more lucrative after legalization in that state. Well, we already know. Bullshit. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, I'm allergic to that kind of stuff. We already know that uh, if it's coming out of Ron's mouth, uh, there's probably not a real lot of merit to it. And uh This is the guy who's fighting woke but doesn't know what woke is. Um, But we're going to steer away from that topic, and we're going to dive right into this topic again from our friends over at Marijuana Moment. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, a 2024 Republican presidential candidate, has reaffirmed that he would not legalize marijuana if elected to the White House. Arguing contrary to evidence, 
that reform has actually increased the size of the illicit market in Colorado. And isn't that one thing we always know and love about Ron DeSantis is he loves arguing contrary to evidence. We did it with COVID. He's done it with different study programs that he's cut out. He's done it with public health. He's done it with everything. If there's evidence that points in one direction, it seems we can count on our good pal Ron to go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. So during a a campaign event in Iowa a week ago, an attendee told DeSantis that she knows people whose children develop cannabis-induced psychosis and asked about whether he would move to legalize or schedule cannabis under the federal law if he became president. In response, uh, DeSantis made clear that he would not legalize marijuana, echoing anti-marijuana arguments he had previously made in June. I think what's happened is this stuff is very potent now. I think that when young people get it, I think it's a real, real problem. And I think it's a lot different than stuff that people were using 30 to 40 years ago, DeSantis said. I think what kids get on that, I think it causes a lot of problems. And then, of course, you know, they can throw fentanyl in any of this stuff now. Okay, time out because there's more, but boy, where do we, where do we even begin? Cannabis induced psychosis. Okay. Whatever that means. Um, and children flash, nobody endorses underage marijuana smoking. We've talked about, we've recognized the arguments about developing brain. It doesn't stop until 25. And even though lots of people I know, and I grew up with were smoking marijuana in their early teenage years, and uh, not too many of them seem to have too much evidence psychosis, although maybe a few do, or maybe they're just crazy. Who knows? Um, uh, no, sorry. There's no cannabis induced psychosis. So the first thing he needs to say to this woman is, ma'am, I think you're overreacting to something. And let's take a look at what the, the real truth about marijuana is. But of course, that's not why he is, because he always likes to argue contrary to the evidence. So instead, he's going to he's going to legalize or reschedule cannabis under federal law. He, he won't do that um, because he will not legalize, you know, uh, how it's very potent now. When young people get it, it's a real, real problem. Again, we said that we're not giving it to young people. And don't forget, right, all the studies we keep reading on this show week after week, states that legalize marijuana, teenage smoking goes down. If you're really concerned about teenage smoking, run, legalize it in your state and step back and watch what happens, right? So it's not a question of it being really potent. It's not a question of young people getting it any differently now than they could. And by the way, Ron DeSantis, I'm just going to guess, is not a guy uh, who was a big marijuana smoker back in his day. Um, he was too busy being at Yale and hating the experience so much that he had no problem going to Harvard Law School. So, you know, it, it's really the kind of uh, uh, solid background decision making and, and opinion forming that we're looking for. And normally I don't care, but if you're going to venture into this territory and put your foot down in it and do it as stupid as he did, then I think, you know, this really has to be called out. So here, here's, here's where things really go off the tracks for him. <sighs> I would not do that, DeSantis said on Saturday. The places that legalize marijuana like Colorado and California, you know, the argument was, and honestly, it wasn't a crazy argument. Look, we know people are going to use marijuana. It's a drug. If you legalize it, you can tax it, regulate it, and it's going to end up being safer for people. But what happened in Colorado? The black market for marijuana is bigger and more lucrative than it was before they did the legalization, the governor said. So the legalization, I don't think that it has worked. DeSantis, surprisingly, didn't provide data or cite any source to support his argument. But private and government analysis have suggested that Colorado has, in fact, significantly reduced the influence of the illicit market in the decade since enacting legalization. One report from Leafly and Whitney Economics that was released last year found that 99% of adult use cannabis sales in Colorado take place within the regulated 
industry, indicating that legalization effectively transitioned people away from the illicit market. Also in July, the city of Denver published a report that showed local law enforcement processed a record low amount of illegal marijuana in 2022, which the government touted as evidence that legalization has largely achieved the goal of mitigating illicit sales. DeSantis' opposition to cannabis legalization, despite recent surveys showing increasing bipartisan support, is not new, but it's part of the official scattered record on the issue that come as he fights to maintain his second place status in the race for Republican presidential nomination. And by the way, economic analysts from Florida uh, and DeSantis's own office estimate that the legalization initiative in Florida would generate between 195.6 million and 431.3 million in new sale tax revenue annually if voters enacted. And those figures could increase considerably if lawmakers opted to impose an additional excise tax on cannabis transactions that's similar to one in places uh, in other legalized states. So it's, it's not doesn't make sense what he's doing on any level. He's depriving his state of almost a half a billion dollars in money for a drug that everybody is using and smoking anyway. And he's completely misleading the voters with his statements. When you say that Colorado's black market has grown, but yet 99% of adult use cannabis sales in Colorado are now taking place within the well-regulated industry, then the only conclusion is DeSantis is either an idiot or a liar. I don't know which one he is. But for God's sakes, people, stop this already. Can we please just stop trotting out these statistics, these scare tactics, all of this stuff that, you know, I would say that DeSantis is so busy going around telling people not to be woke that, you know, he's anti-woke himself, which even though he thinks it's a good thing, it's really a bad thing, right? Because woke just means you know what you're talking about and you're knowledgeable on a particular subject. You, you know, you understand its nuances and, and all of that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, this is what we're dealing with. The federal government says we're going to fool you and make it Schedule 3. Um, DeSantis says we're not going to touch it because it's bad for you. Right at the same time that we're finding that states that legalize have a 20% drop in foster care. So, once again, uh, you can all make your own decisions on this, and I'm sure you will. Um, I've run a little bit over time here in terms of what I wanted to do today, uh, but we've just got two music clips left from our good friend James Casey, and we're just going to dive into and play them anyway. So those of you that like to turn me off in an hour, go ahead. And those of you that love an enhanced musical experience, don't touch that dial. Dan? So that's No Men in No Man's Land. 
uh, uh, this is a performance by the Tranastasio Band uh, from November 19th, 2022 in Reading, Pennsylvania. Um, the song was written by Trey and Tom Marshall, who is well known as uh, one of Trey's good buddies from their days back at Princeton Day School in New Jersey. Uh, and he's been the primary external lyricist for Fish during their career uh, with songwriting credits for more than 95 original tunes played by them. Um, he also fronts his own rock and roll bands and um, uh, has been, I guess, the closest which you could say is like, you know, he's, he's been to Trey like Robert was to Jerry, maybe not quite as deep, but nevertheless, uh, these are the fish tunes that folks know and love. Uh, the song was released on Fish's album, Big Boat, in October of 2016. Uh, the song was first played by Fish in July of 2015 uh, out in Bend, Oregon. It debuted with Blaze On and Shade. The next night they broke out Mercury. The song was last played, again, excluding what happened at Dix this past weekend. Uh, July 30th, 2023, so just about a month ago at Madison Square Garden. Fish has broken it out 67 times. Um, but again, uh, this is Tab playing it. And what I loved and really wanted to feature there, because we had just heard James singing was just what a tremendous sax player he is and his ability to improvise in free form uh, when he gets the opportunities like uh, those he was getting from Trey um, in his band. So uh, we are running late. We're going we're gonna to wind it down here for today. Um, I'm glad you're all able to join. Uh, I hope you enjoyed a little break from the Grateful Dead. There's lots of great Grateful Dead stuff that we will be getting back to right away. Uh, we've got some guests we're trying to line up for the next couple of weeks as well. And uh, just a lot of good things going on. Uh, maybe next week we can even check in a little bit with what went down at Dix this past weekend, uh, even though I just don't know what it is yet. So there's your Twilight Zone. You guys know I don't, and uh, it's all good fun. So uh, we're gonna we're gonna I'm gonna leave you today um, with I think really the perfect song. This is a touch and a touch of gray from Phil Lesh and Friends. Uh, Phil's friends these times this time around is Graham Lesh, John Medeski, Rick Mitterrandto again from Goose, John Molo. James Casey, Natalie Cressman, and Jennifer Hartswick, October 22nd, 2022 at the Capitol Theater, um, written by Jerry and Robert Hunter. Uh, it was first played back in September of 82 at the Cap Center in Landover, Maryland. Last played at the very last Grateful Dead show, July 9th, 95 at Soldier Field. Dead played it 211 times. Phil plays it all the time. This time with Casey singing it. Ripped to James Casey. We miss you, man. Uh, thank you all for listening. Have a great week. Be safe and enjoy your cannabis responsibly.
Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Hey everyone, it's Ryan from the Cannabis Connoisseur Podcast. If you're looking for ways to utilize cannabis to keep you healthy, strong, and sharp, come join us every Wednesday where we dive into the best ways to use cannabis to optimize your life. Topics include cannabis and athletics, cannabis for productivity, cannabis for anxiety, cannabis for a healthy immune system, and so much more. If you're a curious connoisseur, this show is for you. So please head over to our page and we're looking forward to seeing you this week. Bye.